Well, I'd like to welcome you all to Sunday service today here at Ananda Village. I am Naya Swami Parvati. This is Naya Swami Pranabha, and we're very happy to be with you today. I'd like to read from Rays of the One Light based on the commentaries of the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita by Paramhansa Yogananda. The title this week, To Each According to His Faith. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. John, chapter three, 3, we read, Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. It is a common experience shared by most people that when a person errs, he experiences a desire to hide that error from his conscience instead of holding it up for purification. Error clutches its misdeeds to itself and resist, resists correction, though it is only in the state of purity that we can achieve perfect freedom. It requires an act of will to offer that awareness up to the light and to hold it there until one's inner darkness is completely dissipated. In every state of conscious, for every state of consciousness has its own attractive power. And the more we allow that attraction to act upon us, the more we attract to ourselves the objective circumstances and experiences natural to it. Our faith is the attractive power of our underlying state of consciousness. Goodness attracts goodness. It takes goodness even to see goodness. Evil attracts evil. And it takes evil even to see evil, that is to take special note of its existence. Whatever there is in you of darkness or light, offer it up to the heights. In the supreme light alone will we find salvation. Accept nothing less in yourself as your lasting reality. As the Bhagavad Gita says in the twelfth chapter, Cling thou to me, clasp me with heart and mind, so shalt thou dwell surely with me on high. <clears throat> but if thy thought droops from such height, if thou beest weak to set body and soul upon me constantly, despair not, give me lower service, seek to reach me, worshiping with steadfast will. And if thou canst not worship steadfastly, work for me, toil in works pleasing to me. For he that laboreth right for love of me shall finally attain. But if in this thy faint heart fails, bring me thy failure. Thus through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, 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 Om. 
This reading is taken from Whispers from Eternity by Paramahansa Yogananda, his book of answered prayers, of prayer demands. Divine Mother, I heard thy voice in the speaking fragrance of the rose. I heard thy voice in the lisping whispers of my devotion. I heard thy voice beneath the din of my noisiest thoughts. It was thy love which broke through the voice of friendship. I touched thy tenderness in the softness of the lily. O Divine Mother, break through the dawn and show thy face of light. Break through the sun and show thy face of power. Break through the night and show thy mooned face. Break through my thoughts and show thy face of wisdom. Break through my feelings and show thy face of love. Break through my pride and show thy face of humbleness. Break through my wisdom and show thy face of perfection. As I call to thee in the wilderness of my loneliness, thou didst burst through the dawn to greet me with thy joy. Thou didst emerge from the molten door of the sun to invigorate me through the pores of my life. Thou didst tear away the night of my ignorance to reveal thy silver rays of speaking silence. When we think back to the beginning of our incarnation, this incarnation, um, that by the time we're born, we already have a tremendous momentum that's happening through us. We're not starting from scratch. We're coming into this lifetime with a lot of stuff, a lot of karma, from not only maybe the previous lifetime, but many lifetimes. So we're already kind of in this dilemma that most of us aren't aware of when we're that little baby. Some of us are. And if you read Yogananda's autobiography of Yogi, in the first two pages, he relates about his own coming into that incarnation. And he hearkens back to the memory of being a yogi in the Himalayan snows. I don't know about you, but I don't remember that happening when I was a baby, having that remembrance. But that momentum of our karma is pretty powerful. And people think there is an innocence when we have that stage of our lives being babies, newly born. But truthfully, there's a lot of ego already there. It just isn't um, been surfaced. And so there's this wonderful appearance of the innocence that's there. But it's an innocence of not being tested. And it soon is tested. And it's supremely impacted by the environment, that new soul in that body. I mean, just think about language. Just think about the English language. How much of an influence there, are, there is to a young child, a baby even, by its parents and the people around. I mean, just look at the almost infinite varieties of English that we have in the world. I mean, some that I'm not sure I understand what they're saying, even though they're speaking English. Um, and I'm sure they're thinking that about me as well. But you just realize, because we're on this momentum, we're on this conveyor belt in a sense of just, we're in life, 
we're functioning. But probably you've had an experience, maybe it's a little bit later than just being a baby, maybe it's in early childhood, where you start to have a deeper sense, maybe not a deep, deep sense, but some sense of, wait a minute. As Swami Kriyananda said about his own uh, childhood, it was like being a stranger in a strange land. Have you felt that? Yeah, I think a number of us have felt that growing up in our early uh, years, that, wait a minute, what is this? And why is this? What's going on here? And then we start to layer over the, those influences in our lives more and more. And perhaps we still have glimpses or uh, little spots of awareness that something is beyond this. But then we get into adolescence and good luck. Um, you know, we're just skipping ahead with a lot more peer pressure. We're skipping ahead with a lot more influences from our hormones. And just, it's an intense time, as we all know. I mean, granted, this is interesting. You've probably heard this. But many, many people will say why they don't want to come back in another incarnation is because of their adolescence. They just don't want to deal with that. Um, but we've seen in our children, uh, either born at Ananda or, or going to school at Ananda schools, that adolescence actually can be a, a, an important time of expansiveness and openness. And so again, it's an environmental impact, that environment is stronger than willpower for, for all of us. But we get to a point where uh, often we will rebel. Isn't it so? I mean, some of us do it very overtly, and some of us do it more quietly. Um, but I think it's pretty common, because it's like um, uh, a little bird coming out of the shell, or a, a, a chrysalis coming out of a cocoon, that it has to struggle. It has to struggle to make its way out of that binding influence that was nurturing in its first phase of life. And so we feel these challenges. We, we try to understand, which we typically don't, but we try to move forward with that energy, that momentum that's already in place. Our karma is there. And, but there are times when we pause and can wake up and see what's happening, especially if we have a lot of support that's spiritual in our environment. But I didn't grow up with a whole lot of that, not in any clear way. My parents were loving, but they weren't really supportive spiritually. But I remember seeking my life's rewards, maybe, um, in figuring out why people went to school. As an adolescent, I was trying to figure out, why do we actually go to school in the way that we go to school? It just didn't connect completely. It just felt like it was a lot of rote memory and, and a lot of just pressure to uh, apply in one way. And I spent my last couple of years in high school kind of researching. And I'd go to school board meetings, not only in my own district, but throughout the city. And because I just wanted to figure out, is there something more going on? Are there more possibilities? Can this be the only thing, this little bubble I'm in in my high school? And uh, luckily, I had a guidance counselor who supported that. So he'd give me passes to leave school during the day and, and, and go and visit other schools. And he thought it was an intriguing experiment. Um, 
But you know, it bore fruit in an interesting way in my senior year of high school that um, there was an experiment that the, um, that the teachers in the history department wanted to put forward. So they picked out three students, and I was one of them, and they basically said at the beginning of the year, you get to decide what you want to do this year. You pick out a topic to research. Um, you're going to do this on your own, develop a, a, you know, a schematic, a syllabus of what you want to do for this program, and uh, check in with us. There were three teachers, and they said, just check in when you feel to, and maybe every three months we will check in with you, but um, we're not going to ask for any details of what you've been doing with your time. We just want to make sure you're engaged in the experience, which was pretty radical at that time um, to be in that situation. So we were allowed to go off the school grounds, which was, of course, a no-no for everyone else. Um, but it was liberating in a sense that I felt, so this is more what education can be, that we can really look forward to experimenting, researching, possibilities, adventure. And because of the time that that happened, it was when the Vietnam War was going on. And I'd been involved, even as a teenager, in a lot of protest marches up in Canada. And so I did my whole year on the history of Vietnam. Um, very interesting to do that at that time. It again gave me a lot more insight as to what, insights as to what was going on. But at that point I thought, that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough in my life to even experiment on that level. That was great, it was positive, it was moving, but there had to be more than that even. And slowly but surely I started to connect more spiritually. Um, and so when I was 18, I learned how to meditate. And from that very day on, I thought, this is definitely where I can feel things can happen. And I wasn't looking to have exotic experiences or real revelations. It just felt like, no, this is what, something's remembering that this is what should be happening. And I was living at home, and luckily for me, my mother supported me doing that. So she'd make my father be quiet when I was meditating. Um, but I, I could feel that meditation was the key to unlock something that was really both individually important, but universally important. I knew this was something that would benefit everybody. And of course, I did go on to a period of time where I was being pretty pushy and dogmatic of saying, why don't you meditate to everybody? Um, <laughs> but that was fine for being um, a teenager. But, um, but quickly I started to realize, you know, there is a whole variety of expressions of spirituality that could happen once you're meditating. And so I traveled for a year and really explored in Europe and in Israel what those interfaces were. What was really going on with other people? What was going on in their journey spiritually? And I've, I found everywhere there were individuals that really I could relate to. Whatever their background was, whatever their tradition was, whether it was being in a yeshiva in the heart of Jerusalem at, at Passover, was it with the Christian friends that I met in, in Jerusalem, 
whether it was, you know, moving through Europe and visiting people that were Baha'is or coming from nowhere, just young people traveling. It felt like there was a key to unlock that connection that came from that, that universal and yet individual experience of going within. It gave me the, the sensibility, but also the power. And that balance is pretty interesting. It isn't out there for a lot of people to have sensibility and yet have clarity of power with that. But that's what I felt was unfolding for me personally. And I could feel that that journey was there. But religion still was a puzzle to me in terms of what it was outwardly. You know, the reading from today from Rays of the One Light is each according to his own faith. Well, I, I couldn't really understand that, to tell you the truth, when I was younger. It just felt like there was so much emphasis on the expression that I couldn't quite figure out how that it would ever be different in that way. And so it only became real to me when I understood that every person, if they can go within, then they can find through their own expression of religion how to make that true to other people. Not as an imposition, perhaps not even as an invitation, but a resonance of where that person is at. I mean, I always love this quote from Swami Vivekananda, who was the foremost disciple of the great master Sri Ramakrishna, where he said that it's a blessing to be born into a religion, unfortunate to die in one. Now, some people have changed that quote, but that's what the quote is. Some people have changed the second part of the quote to that it's a curse to die in one. But it's definitely not a curse to die in a religion. It's unfortunate that we spend a lifetime not getting past that point, but it's not a curse. It's not a heavy-duty burden, but in the sense that it's a, it's a blessing to be born in a situation where we've got the support and nurturing to have at least some sense that there's spirit. But we don't want to have just the sense that there is spirit, and that's why it's unfortunate to die with just that awareness. What we are really here to do is come to the experience of that awareness being our reality of, of the divine. Again, whether we call it God or whatever term we're, we're going to use and apply, but it's that experience that is there of beyond the expression of that into the essence of that. And so even the term self-realization, Paramahansa Yogananda talked about that the essence of self-realization, because even the term self-realization can still have an expression outward, and that's appropriate. But the essence of that is that inner experience where we're unified, we're at one with the divine. We're real in that experience. And that becomes much more how we live. And as the Bhagavad Gita says, to do what we can do is really the emphasis. To bring our intentions into a flow so that that momentum of karma can start to dissolve and we start to be alive in the present moment of our inner consciousness. But as it says, it's not going to be that easy. It's going to be challenging. And there are times when we're just going to look like we're just splayed out with our face planted in the mud. You know, there will be those times. And 
The important thing is to identify not with that we're in the mud, but we have the possibility of getting out of the mud. And we know that's difficult. We know that's overwhelming at times when we're really caught by our karma. And we just are kind of just blowing it to a maximum degree. <laughs> but it's almost like if we could just turn this around and say, wow, I've really done this well in blowing it. You start to sort of loosen the fact that you don't have to judge yourself. You know, because that's the real critical problem, is when we judge ourselves, we become guilty that we feel, oh, how could I do that to that person? How could I possibly be so mean? Well, remember, not as an excuse, but there's a tremendous momentum of karma that's happening through you. And so, you probably had a habit of being mean to people in past lives. And you're clearing that up. It's like either it's happening less or it's happening with less degree of intensity. But every movement upward is really coming home. You know, we're not getting somewhere in truth. We're just becoming more aware of our home in ourselves. And so the Bhagavad Gita says in these verses, in these slokas, that if you can't be at this level, like a St. Francis or a Yogananda or a Swami Kriyananda, then offer what you can, go into the techniques that allow us to have that transformation. But you and I know sometimes we can't even deal with the techniques, it seems. It seems like we're just swallowed up by that karma. And, and so we may not be able to go that route of even saying, I can deal with the techniques. And then we can do it in our service, in our way of relating to the world around us. Can we at least feel we're a channel, that there's a flow coming through us that is, is our way of not only serving, but feeling that sense of the experience personally inside. And as you know, there are times when we're far too grumpy and self-involved to even do that. You know, it just feels like, I'll do it because I'm told to do it. And I'll grudgingly carry out my actions. So if we can't be at that point, can we be anywhere with the Divine? There's always the possibility of the Divine. So even just the thought of the Divine at that point will carry us on the raft across the ocean of delusion. But as it says, we may not be able to do that even. And the tendency in the momentum of karma is to feel that hopelessness, to feel we just have too much to deal with. There's just too much here. I can't even think of God. It feels like I want to hide from that light. It's disturbing to me. It's just too much. I just want to be in my corner with the shadows. And each of us has done that in one way or the other. It's not um, foreign to us. 
It may be foreign to us in this lifetime. Let's hope that's true. Um, but then there's just a sense of, I give my failures. You know? And we may do that in very strange ways. You know? We may do it as kind of a, an unfriendly way to God. You're in charge. Why did you blow it? <laughs> that's fine. As long as we're able to offer ourselves, that's even fine to do it that way. But we have to just tune in, be aware, and at least open to the possibility. However much it seems like a little sliver compared to the, the piece of wood that's involved here, but just that sliver, it's just saying, okay, this is what I can do. This is real to me. I'm going to do this. But the interesting thing that we can understand, too, is that every time we move a little bit of energy in that direction of expansiveness towards the light, it attracts more of that energy. Even just a little bit starts to attract more. And that attracts more. And it goes on in this magnetic flow. So that the momentum that starts to happen now in our lives is being alive in God. And that aliveness becomes that we're with God rather than approaching God. We're feeling that presence. We know that presence. We're alive in that presence. And as we do that, then we appreciate that in other people for whoever they are, whatever they're doing in life, we can tune into their presence behind whatever unusual expression they have. But we know, because we know ourselves, we know that other true self in that other person. And we feel this much more alive all the time. So take this time to really feel alive in that presence. No matter what tests come to you, offer, even if it seems minuscule, what you can offer, offer it. Let's take a moment to meditate. I'm going to play an instrumental by Swami Kriyananda entitled Mist. <laughs> 